Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Today from Keenan Stadium in Chapel Hill, the Tar Heel Sports Network presents Carolina Football Saturday number six and the annual Carolina NC State bloodletting. Woody Durham, the table is all set for a terrific football feast. It's beautiful weather in Chapel Hill, a rival game, and storylines are everywhere, both on and off the field. We'll make this 94th backyard brawl between these two old rivals as Carolina's home game today, but it may not seem like that at times as we work our way into the evening. If indeed state fans are able to infiltrate Keenan Stadium today in the same way they got into the Smith Center three years ago. Tar Heel fans are unhappy, and they show their unhappiness not by not writing checks or giving money. They continue to do that. They show their unhappiness by not coming, which in a lot of ways is a major part of the football program at Carolina. Yet state fans continue to be excited over a program which has won 37 games over the last four and a half years and gone to four bowl games, but yet has never finished higher than fourth in the conference standing. Carolina beats NC State today. A lot of enthusiasm will come back to the program to do that. The Tar Heels need their potential-laden passing game to get on track. This is Mick Mixon with Woody Durham, Lee Pace, Don McCauley, and Jones Angel inviting you to stay tuned for Carolina NC State football and the Progress Energy pregame show. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. All right, y'all. We are here again, back for episode seven of the throwback here on Inside Carolina. And I am tickled to death, one, because I have two much more experienced and better looking gentlemen than I with me today. This is the first time we've done one of these with a video function, and my mom always said I had a face for radio. So this is this is going to be a little bit of a little bit of the first voyage of uh, of the of the ship tonight, video wise. But um, we are here once again. You know how the throwback works, guys. We we have uh, basically set up a night for you to just revel in nostalgia, right? Night, day, morning, whenever you listen to this, we want you to feel nostalgia, and we hope that today's episode and today's game will help you guys with that um we're going to talk about the 2004 football game at keenan stadium with the nc state Wolfpack. and uh, as you guys are listening today i know you're as excited as i am this is a big deal this is a huge controversial game this game still sticks in the crawl of many of our friends from west raleigh and if you're as excited uh, to listen to the show as we are to put it together, I would ask you to stop what you're doing right now, go rate and review the show wherever you're getting this podcast. Uh, if it's on iTunes or Google Play or whatever, make sure you take a chance. Go say uh, what you think about us. If it's positive, give us a five-star review. If it's not positive, let us know. We want to do better. We want to make sure we're giving you guys 
really good content. We want to make sure we're giving you guys what you want to hear and that you're entertained by what we're putting out there. While we're there, want to make sure I give a shout out to Johnny T-Shirt, our friends on Franklin Street. They've been around forever. Right now, you're taking care of us. Johnny T-Shirt's taking care of us. Let's make sure we're taking care of them. Hit up johnnytshirt.com. They always have stuff on sale. Get your gear, whether you like you know, Columbia, Nike, Jumpman, whatever. Johnny T-Shirt's got it. Hit them up, johnnytshirt.com. They're quick on the delivery button, too. So if you want to get stuff here in a couple of days, they'll get it to you in a couple of days. But take care of them. We want to take care of local businesses, especially folks like Johnny T-Shirt, who have been with us since the jump, here on InsideCarolina.com. I'm going to set up this game really quickly, and then I want to bring in our guests because, again, they've done this so much more than I have, and I'm really thrilled that they're both here today. Uh, this game, why this game? Well, like I said, it's one of the biggest, probably controversial results in the history of Carolina football, but definitely in the history of this rivalry. And I'm not trying to be over-hyperbolic here, but I, that's, that's, a, that's really, I think, that when we start talking about it, you'll recognize that's what this game was. Uh, the result still sticks in the craw of folks that we've seen. You talk to a, a, a state fan right now and, and bring up this game, and they're going to be madder than a, a pack of dogs on a three-legged cat. So make sure, you're, make sure you're really locked in to hear what our two panelists say today about this game. This game was only on WTVD at the time. Thankfully, we had a great radio crew who were working with WTVD to bring this game to us uh, locally in the, the triangle market. Um, Right now, you know, it was – Carolina was playing NC State as the play-by-play -play guy – actually, no, I'm sorry, the color guy on the Tar Heel Radio Network at the time called this 94, 94th meeting the bloodletting. Uh, it was uh, held on October 9th of 2004. Carolina was coming in at 2-3. and three. They had wins over William & Mary and Georgia Tech, but huge losses at Virginia, Louisville, and Florida State who were all ranked. Uh, they were playing with a senior quarterback, Darian Durant. Uh, so – Carolina fans rightfully had hope because they had a good guy, good gunslinger, a guy dropped back in the pocket there. They played six ranked opponents that season, so they were used to seeing big names, uh, big powerful competition. NC State was coming in three and one. Their only loss was at home against Ohio State, uh, but they did close this season losing five of their last seven, including this game. They didn't make a bowl. Uh, Chuck Amato is their coach. I'll leave that blank for you guys to figure out about what, what we think about <laughs> Chuck Amato. Uh, but with that, that should give you guys a little bit of context of where we are. And I want to bring in our two panelists today. First, friend of mine from way back, former Carolina football player. He is the lead college football analyst for Stadium Sports at WatchStadium.com. This guy's also an amazing cook. If you follow him on social media, uh, he, will he will absolutely get your mouth watering and have your palate ready to go with some of the stuff that he posts on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Mr. Michael Felder. Felder, how you doing, buddy? Uh, Joey, I'm doing great, man. Um, no, I haven't been posting as much on Instagram because when, you, when everybody else is kind of zigging when it comes to cooking, and I, so I'm trying to zag right now and come up with something new to do, but I'm still cooking every single night. Like, we, once we get off here, we're going to have some steak sandwiches from a little steak we cooked up last night, but um, – Dude, this this game for me was was huge, and I'm I'm honored to be on here with the other guest co-host because this is one of those times where I, and I'll never forget it. Like one those times where you can look into your parents' eyes and they're like, "You did a thing," <laughs> and the one of the first times that happened was when uh, Meet the Heels Day 2003, uh, when Woody Durham 
called my name out when I ran out of the tunnel and I threw a t-shirt out and my dad was like, Oh my God, Woody Durham said your name. And you know, the same goes for uh, the, the next, you know, his, his partner, his partner for, for so many years and a guy that we listened to, you know, cut the sound off. Sorry, Jefferson pilot, but we cut the sound off and we listened to the radio broadcast. Well, since you kind of teased him, I think we should probably go ahead and go to him. Folks, you may know him as the guy on the skins for the Franklin street band uh, if not, you probably heard him doing play-by-play for the main guides. Uh, that's where a lot of folks, you know, really got their, got their fix with him doing some, some minor league ball. Uh, he was the North Carolina Sportscaster of the Year in 1999. And he's been working with some big NFL league team out of Charlotte since 2005. Uh, you also may remember he was, you know, the other half of the broadcast with Woody Durham for a long time, and they weren't just promoting Beefmasters. Mick Mixon, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. It's great hearing your voice, Joey. Good to see you. Good to be on here with Felder. Uh, I'm not on social media. I believe that scarcity breeds momentum. <laughs> but um, I, I try to kind of keep up with you guys from a distance, and and it's uh, it's a blast. I you know so many names. Uh, Michael mentioned Woody, and you did too. And you know we miss the Woodman, Chuck the Chest. Coach in NC State, huge personality. I used to go over to, to get an in-person interview. I would try to get an in-person interview with every opposing head coach, football or basketball. I just believed, and Woody did too, that our broadcast should have some journalistic balance to it. Chuck Amato one time, his secretary said, um, Chuck is waiting for you, second door down the hall to the left. So I walked down the NC State Football Center, uh, the, down the hallway, and the second door on the left was the bathroom. This is not – this isn't going to win Chuck Amato the Pulitzer Prize for comedy, but it just got all over him. He thought he had just pulled the funniest thing ever, sending me into the bathroom. I don't really care. I mean, it's fine. We do the interview in there if you need to. But And then, I mean, on the UNC side, Darian Durant. I love Darian Durant. I used to call him superstar. Underrated, don't you think, Michael, just as an accurate, calm – uh, a little more athletic than he got credit for. He understood offensive football. He knew – he kind of knew what I think Gary Tranquil wanted and vice versa. And, um, man, authored so many great moments during his career. Oh, man. Um, so, I'm watching this game today, and I'm taking my notes, and I keep pulling the computer over to my wife and being like, look at this. This is what happened. Remember, this is what happened. And for me, as a guy that didn't, didn't get in the game – but I was on scout team. I knew everything that our offense did. And you hit the nail on the head. We called him D-Block, right? And uh, D-Block was – that was our heart and soul as a football team. He was a guy that was so cool, so calm under pressure. And he could do every – like, if he was playing in today's football with today's kind of those spread offenses and working RPOs and doing those things that are more and, – and people weren't worried about height so much. Yeah. I think he could have really, you know, and listen, no disrespect. He's had a heck of a career in Canada. He's done so well. Um, but he could have been, in, he could be in the league as a, as a successful, productive guy because he was, he was so good and so strong and so talented. And I mean, he was, he is, I, I love TJ Yates. He's a really good friend of mine, but man, I think D block for me, listen, I know we got Keldorf and Oscar Davenport and Ron C and, these guys just like in my lifetime, but for me, D-Block, that's that guy. Like he was, he was the man. 
No, you got to give Jason Finley Stanisek some love too. Another guy that looked like if you saw Jason walk up, you think this is the maybe the intern for the for the Tariel Sports Network. <laughs> but uh, man, he could play. He ran that shell game, that option. But Darian Durant, the thing I loved about Darian, one of the things is that even at 20 years old, he looked like to me he was about a 38-year-old man. He looked like me right now. <laughs> so what does he look like now? He looks Have the same. He looks the same. He looks exactly the same. I'm watching these Canada clips, and he looks exactly the same. The same, like, little beard, the same, like, stout body type. Like, he's got, he looks the same. So, listen, he's not, he's not really aging. He's up there living his best life. He I won't remember me, I'm sure, but if you ever talk to him, uh, I wish you would tell him that Mick said to say what's up. There we go. I love that Mick dropped uh, Stanisek's government, full government name there. That was impressive. <laughs> All right, guys, so let's, we, we've kind of set the table for this ball game. I want to ask you both, and Mick, I'll go to you first. What do you remember about this game before, you know, rewatching it? Uh, Mick, what was your, the thing that stuck out for you? I mean, there's, there's the giant, you know, the giant plate of food right there in front of you if we want to take it, but wh what may have jumped out at you um, in your memory? What was your indelible memory of this game before looking at it again? Well, just that Carolina, it felt in the moment like Carolina had to have this game. You mentioned, Joey, the, the, the good start by NC State and North Carolina had played, I think, fairly well in, in the Louisville loss, did some good things, just couldn't quite close the deal. And I think, you know, with John Bunning, the great Buntino as the head coach, this felt like a game, a home game that North Carolina really needed. And State's coming in rolling. They got the big bopper, T.A. McClendon. And North Carolina's defense was very, very young. There, were some, there was some talent, but particularly up front. I mean, you had just a green as a gourd defense that, I mean, it was worrisome because State had – my memory of it is not only did State have McClendon, but they also had good, a good receiving core. They had some striders, some speed, and, and um, it just looked to me like the kind of game that could shape up to be memorable – and North Carolina put 30 on them. What was the score? Wasn't it 30 to 24? I may be jumping ahead a bit, but I'm thinking North Carolina was up six when State mounted that drive yep. late in the game. Spot on. You nailed it. That's and it's like, yeah, just just like yesterday. Felder, what was your indelible memory outside of the 30-page novella that you put together of notes? What was your what was your memory of the game before we went back to it? Um, so here, the, like I've got the memory of the game where obviously. We talk, we're going to talk about T.A. and the whole deal. Um, but for me, everything was inside that building. Everything was smaller. And so it was – It was. I remember our punter, David Wooldridge, had been suspended, you know, two weeks before because he was stealing DVDs. I remember, I remember that. And I remember that was the first time that he had ever not traveled. So we snuck into Keenan Stadium and we grabbed a couple of those free T-shirts that they put out on the bleachers and, like – that's part of like going into that game. I think about the, um, I think about the repercussions of this game, which was the last time that I got to play football with a couple of my teammates because they ended up getting suspended and moved off the football team. And that really stunk because those guys are good. And then obviously we see AD balling out in, um, in Canada as well with, with D block. So that's a really cool thing that it was able to come to that. Um, let's go. Do you guys remember that song, Let's Go, by Trick Daddy? Um, yes. I think this was the first game where that song, like, took prominence for us. So that was on my mind. And 
the other part was we really wanted to beat this team and I get it. And I love, I know that people nationally on a big scale think about UNC and Duke as the rivalry, but in that locker room for football, it's UNC versus NC state. It's guys that we played football with, with and against in high school. And it meant so much. And off the field, we had gotten to a big fight with them at Avalon, which was a club off Rosemary, off Rosemary in Chapel Hill um, next to Murder Mart. And we got banned from Avalon as a football team and they pepper sprayed all of us. And it was bad. We won the fight though. We lost the football game the year before, but we won the fight. And but I remember us thinking, we cannot lose to these guys anymore. There was just so much animosity and anger and frustration. And this was one of those games where Coach Bunning and I remember that week in practice, the amount of hate. And I'm glad for the clips that you sent because those cl- the clips, the, the, the email that you sent, the clip that you sent showed us leading up to the game. And it showed us in our meeting room where we're all just like, go to hell state. And that was pregame. Everybody in that locker room knew we wanted to win this football game. We had to win this football game. And then, man, watching the game, and I look at the box score, we should not have won this football game. crowd. I think the crowd senses that this is a, 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 a terrific opportunity, Woody, for the Tar Heel football program to take a big step. I love State that had the that. ball. State possessed the ball a lot <clears throat> during the game. They, they, they had the ball. Um, I don't the have the stats, game. but it seemed like it. Yeah, and I, I was not in that club that night. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't in the, at the fight. Uh, if I had been, I would have been looking for Tony Haynes uh, my counterpart on the NC State Radio Network, because I think I could have taken him uh, and still could in a fair fight. But <laughs> And I do remember the song Let's Go, but I remember Let's Go by Richie Valens, which would have been probably in the late 50s, <laughs> not the version that you're alluding to, Michael. But uh, this uh, – my friend Lee Pace, you guys know noted football writer Lee Pace, mm-hmm. Leroy sent me his copy of Extra Points, the newsletter that he wrote 
expertly written that the, the summary of this game, and I had forgotten, and Michael, you'll be expert on this, but um, Lee re Lee's reporting was that North Carolina had some vicious full contact goal line practices leading up to that game because of some missed opportunities to stop some teams prior to this. Do you, do you, is, is, am I right in channeling Lee's memory of, of that season? 100%. We, um, we did full team goal line um, tackle to the ground. Everybody except Darian Durant. We did full team goal line uh, the two weeks leading up to that because we had really screwed up in previous games and we screwed up in the season before against uh, – was it Syracuse or uh, – yeah, Syracuse. Against Syracuse, we screwed up in goal line, and we had this new defense, new defensive coordinators, John Gutekiss. We had Marvin Sanders. We had these new, this new defense, and that was a thing watching the game for me, uh, Mick and Joey, that like, oh, my God, I know this defense, and I'm seeing all the, like, the little inflections and the little changes that we're making. But we worked hard on that goal line stuff because – we had messed up and they had cost us football games and we didn't want to have it cost us um, up until this point, the biggest game of our season. Mick, I appreciate you bringing that up. That was something that uh, in the post game, uh, Coach Bunning actually talked about Tommy oh, yeah. coming up and saying to him, hey, Coach, aren't you glad we practiced all that, uh, all that goal line stuff now? And Bunning remembers, uh, Bunning actually had, had forgotten that they'd done it in the hubbub of the game and actually said, you know what? I'm glad we did. I, I appreciate you guys, yeah, I, I appreciate you guys bringing up that that little complexity that had happened over the course of, of game prep. Mick, do you remember much about the flow of this game? I mean, it, you know, a second ago, Felder alluded to the just absolute huge tilt towards NC State as far as the box score goes. Total yards was 577 to 356. Time of possession, as you said, Mick, was way slanted. Do you remember much about the flow of this game? No. Um, I remember I really had to go to the bathroom early in the third quarter. <laughs> Let me see what else stands out. I think that the crowd, I remember the crowd being uh, a, a really good atmosphere at Keenan, yeah. befitting of a rival game like this. I remember Madison Hedgecock being, uh, and I can't quote you, I don't know really if Madison was a factor in this game, but I used to, I love Madison Hedgecock. This, this, Old farm boy, he had an appetite for contact. He would play any position if he got a chance to crush somebody's skull. Trump and I do stick. know that – exactly. And I do know that he had actually flipped over to try to help the team some and played some D-line, maybe some D-end. Was he – was he a – did he scratch? Was he on the – Was did he play some defensive snaps in this game? Not in this game. He did actually make a uh, special teams tackle but did not have any snaps on defensive end. Felder, I'll let you speak to that, but I know Mick's exactly right. They'd been using uh, Mad Dog on both sides of both sides of the ball. You wanna, you wanna didn't he play night? well that night? He, I think he, had, he oh, had some carries, though, on offense, right? Ten carries for 69 yards. We're going to get to it a little bit when we talk about our players of the game. But, yeah, he, he, had, uh, he had quite an impact, especially in the fourth quarter, just, you know, going for guys' souls. Uh, yeah. It, it, yeah, absolutely. Mike, do you remember much about him playing both sides of the ball? So, Mad Dog played um, – I'm trying to think. I think Matt, Madison Hedgecock from Ledford High School, shout out to he, – he, he, I can't remember what he used to say. He used to say something about, I'm from so-and-so, but my address is in Kernersville because his mailbox was like right over the line. 
and but his house was in a different was in a different actually technically a different city limits or something but he's from Lightford High School he's an absolute monster I, I loved playing with him I actually did um when I was doing hustle team I was in the people's uh double team with him and Malik Brown when we were one of the tops in the country in kick return and I used to just run into Malik Brown and Madison Hedgecock every day and that was just my job and so you know it it was it wasn't easy for a young guy, but with Madison in this game, Madison played defense. I believe the season before is where he was mostly on defense, and then this season they flipped him back to running back. And what I remember about that was he was punishing guys. He was punishing guys. And I also remember people didn't know this, but Jock Lewis was hurt. Yeah. He was hurt like for real, and I don't think people realize how much he was hurt. I think he might have had like a. I don't know if it was like a hairline fracture or something in his foot that we were trying to kind of cover up. It's not the right word, but like keep out of the press so that NC state didn't know that we, about it. And he had to put like a plate in his shoe so that he could run and he couldn't, you could see he didn't have the same spring that he usually had. And he couldn't play it at all. You're exactly right. Yeah. He couldn't play it. And so at one point it was just, there was a lot of pain and we had to put Madison had to play real running back, which meant, my guy, Ricky Cook, had to be the fullback. And you throw Cook in the game, and he's the fullback. And now you got two guys that weigh 250-some-odd pounds coming downhill at you. And you could tell there were moments where they didn't really want it. Two fullbacks, it looks like. Yeah, Madison Hedgecock is the tailback in this situation with Ricky Cook right in front of him. They get motion now from Holly to the left side. The give is off to Hedgecock, going right side. Hedgecock breaks it back. Tacklers on him, and he carries a couple of state tacklers out across the 25 to about the 27-yard line. Pat Thomas, strong side linebacker on the stop. Will mix, Lee Pace, we've been hearing for a couple of weeks that Hedgecock has taken snaps at tailback in practice, but this is the first time we've actually been able to see him back there. That's a quarter of a ton of football player in the offensive backfield with Cook and Madison Hedgecock and it worked terrifically well that time and they they adjusted their game plan once they realized that Madison was going to be the real running back not just the guy that's back there blocking and they got a little heavier and they got a little bit more sand in their pants but man it was those first couple carries for him were really it was cool to see because he did so much in practice and worked so hard and did so many you know, did so much dirty work to, to see him get to carry the football was really, really cool. Mick, I remember, um, and this was something I think you were leading to a second ago. Um, I specifically remember in this game before we rewatched it and then confirmed it rewatching it. If you watch in the fourth quarter, State's tacklers wanted no part of Madison Hedgecock whatsoever. There was a, a fourth and one uh, in the fourth quarter where, you know, UNC needed to, needed to keep the chains moving uh, and tried to, you know, extend their lead and keep, keep grinding the clock out. They went fourth and one. They handed it to, to Mad Dog. He went outside and, and just the two guys that tried to tackle him. And State had some studs. I mean, some real dogs on their defense oh, yeah. at the time. But you could look when you watch this replay that they wanted no part of tackling him head up. Just, just none at all. As a, as a former little guy, just – I'm going to tell you this, as a guy that played safety who's bigger now, but – as a former small guy, I didn't either. Like, no. Like, they wouldn't – you do ta- – we used to do ram drills with, D- with safeties, safeties, linebackers, and the running backs, and they were like, 
You can't go against Madison. You can't go against Ricky Cook. You can't go against Dokuno Lagake. You can't go – they're like, you can't go against these guys because they will destroy you. And we saw that in, in a game action where he just smashed their soul. Fourth and a yard just inside the state 37. Two tight ends. Cook and Hedgecock are the running backs. Durant at the line of scrimmage. State with a six-man front. Here's Durant giving the ball off to Hedgecock, trying to get wide, does, 35-30, near sideline, 20, down inside the 15-yard line before he's knocked down by Marcus Hudson. with a good pulling block, and Mick, I thought for a moment he was going to score. <laughs> I did, too. I thought he was going to outrun people into the end zone. Madison Hedgecock, a difference maker in the football game. He's given this Tar Heel offense some energy, uh, the feeling like they can convert these third and shorts without having to try to trick the defense. Hedgecock was a handful in the league. He had some uh, more than just a cup of coffee in the NFL. I remember him with the Giants. And, and uh, one time, Gary Tranquil, I was standing there at practice, and Gary Tranquil gets irate with Madison Hedgecock. So you got Tranquil slams his cap, baseball cap on the ground, and he reaches up and he grabs Madison Hedgecock by the face mask and yanks him down to him. And he says, son, can I trust you to put you in a game? And Hedgecock looks at Gary Tranquil and through his helmet says, no, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that brutal honesty. I, love I know. I, lo I loved it. <laughs> I can't. Oh my goodness! That you bringing up Trank with the face mask grab to jank, to get you down to his level. I've had that. Everyone that's played has played with him or played for him has had that. <laughs> he is. I showed a picture of him to my wife today, and she was like, "This is the guy that you're terrified of." And I was like, "Yes, he was." <laughs> he takes that hat off. He slams it on the ground. He grabs your face mask. He looks you in the eye. Tells you how dumb you are and what you're doing wrong. And then all you can do is just be like, you're right. You know what? I On that blitz, I did get too close to the quarterback. I messed up very badly. That's my fault. I got so many great Gary Tranquil stories, but most of them I can't tell on the podcast <laughs> because they have unspeakably the horrible words. And the stories just aren't the same without that. I, 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 respect, the, uh, I respect the authorship and the, and, and the voice there. All right, so we've talked a little bit about kind of the, the nuance of the game itself. I'm going to go ahead and just, you know, give a giant bear hug to the elephant in the room. Let's talk about T.A.'s knee being down. Mick, what do you remember about the chaos, uh, you know, the absolute – and, again, going back and, and rewatching, you and Woody had the unenviable task of trying to sort out what was going on in the field without anybody telling you because they're, you know, again, it was a local broadcast. You guys were the radio guys that were synced up with a camera. Uh, do you remember much about how you guys had to, to watch that and then relaying it to the audience? And then what were your thoughts as just a guy taking all that in? Well, looking back on this game, 2004, October, I'd forgotten a lot about the game and I tried to retrofit uh, a few of the, nuances and subtleties of the game back into my mind for our visit tonight. But I remember in the moment thinking this, this feels like the most important thing in, in your life. I mean, just 
the two in the froze, the emotions, it looks like State's going to going to kick an extra point and win it. But then, oh, no, wait. I'd love to know, was it Courtney Mosey's crew? I, I do not know whose officiating crew it was. I'd love to know who the referee was in that game. Oh, Jim Knight. Oh, God, what a great, great, great official. One of the all-time greats. Um, that's so, part of the conspiracy, right? Like, you know, the our, our friends from Raleigh have this conspiracy that because of what happened with Jim Knight's health at University of, of Chapel Hill Hospital, that's one of their things is that's why Jim Knight's crew didn't allow TA to get that touchdown. Well, there's also people that think that the uh, that the moon landing was uh, a government <laughs> hoax and, and um, I, you know, we could go on and on. But Jim Knight, if you know anything about Jim Knight, and I went to the – I worked as a color analyst for 16 seasons on the Tar Heel Sports Network. And for 16 years, I attended the ACC football officiating clinic every summer. They rotated it around to a different campus, and it did not matter whether it was College Park, Maryland, Tallahassee, Florida, Duke, Carolina, Wake. didn't matter. I was there. The officials were so gracious to welcome me in. I wasn't trying to be boys with them. I just knew that there's nothing worse than a color analyst that's not nimble with the playing rules. College football rules are different than high school rules. They're different than NFL rules. And I wanted to educate myself on the mechanics, uh, rule changes, points of emphasis. And I got to know many of these men in the process. Jim Knight is one of the classiest, most gracious gentlemen. And on my grandson's life, Jim Knight would never make a call because of any anything he 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 was all the all of them prided themselves on being uh, on being impartial and just trying to call the game in a fair way and i'd say that doesn't matter to me i the, the outcome seemed important then but our the quality of our lives is not affected by who wins or loses these games but if so if his knee was down then it was down davis under center from the three Gives the ball to McClendon. Hits up into the middle. Goes right to the goal. Touchdown, NC State. Well, there's some discussion going on now with the officials. We got an early signal for a touchdown. is about Jim Knight will explain it to us he's coming out of the conference right now here's Mr. Knight I think he said his knee was down wow Lee Pace what did you see one official said he was down, one gave the signal for the touchdown, the first one overruled the second. So the first one who ruled touchdown overruled the second? No, no, the other way. The, the one who, who ruled his knee being down is the one that is counting. The ball is on the, it is inside the one-yard line. So no touchdown, so the points will come off. It'll still be 30-24, to 24, Carolina. 14 seconds left. Well, the crowd is confused because the scoreboard is showing 30-30. And we got to Mr. Knight a bit late. He was just saying something about his knee down. 
but we didn't pick it up. So it remains 30 to 24. And now the board is being changed. The ball is inside the one yard line, 14 seconds left, no timeouts. Now the question is, can the Tar Heels hold? His whole body was on the ground. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. That's all I'm saying. His whole body was on the ground. We watched this a lot of times after that. We watched every angle. We watched, uh, we watched all of it. His body was laying on the ground. He didn't get in. I stand by it. I stick by it. I believe it. I know it. And then, obviously, we get to the play that changes everything, the final play. Or not the final play, because the play before the final play, the, the fumble. And, man, you mentioned that we were really young up front, Mick. And to see guys like Terry Hunter, Khalif Mitchell go out and make plays. We saw Tommy Davis get hurt earlier in the game. To see Malik those guys Brown was go a out. sophomore. I mean, yeah. how many snaps Malik, did he get that game? Malik was – I think he's a redshirt sophomore. And Malik was, is another guy that he was young. These guys hadn't played a ton of snaps. You talk about Larry Edwards and Fred Sparkman – in that in that in that second level as linebackers going to make plays, T. Rich had been converted from a safety to a linebacker to try to help in that game. And listen, I love T. Rich. Like that's my guy. Like he, there were moments in game when he would ask me what's happening because I could get a different view because I'm standing on the bench watching, and he knew I had an idea of what I was talking about. So it was one of those things where that group was they were young, they had some. Leadership, though, Jonas, Jonas Seawright was a, was a big boy who, who slimmed down for that final season, who wanted to work, and he made some plays. And, and Pup was also – Pup was young. He was a sophomore. We, were, we came in the same year. And obviously he didn't finish out with us at UNC. But him and Fred were – those guys were making plays. And you had to – we juggled that young athleticism of like a Fred Sparkman or a Larry Edwards with – older guys that weren't quite as athletic like Jeff Longhaney and, and um, Doug Justice. But that final play, I mean, you've got a sophomore and a freshman going to make plays where Khalif makes a play and then Kareen recovers the fumble. And Kareen is, Kareen is one of my favorite football players that I've ever been around. He's awesome. And I know we haven't talked about Gerald Sensiball. I think that's more of a Miami thing. But I think Gerald Sensiball probably taught me more about football than I've learned from anyone because I used to just get to sit with him in Keenan in, in the, in the uh, building and watch film with him and just learn what you're supposed to look for. Michael, do you remember uh, any sort of uniform or equipment malfunction that may have happened prior to that last play of Khalif Mitchell? Uh, Mount Mitchell, I think, is, as Woody used to call him, making that hit. And then uh, Kareem Taylor making that, making that fumble pickoff. Do you, is so there anything here's about a, that? I – I think this is the play where he, Kareen, had my helmet on. I think this is the play where Kareen, because I think something happened with the snap on his helmet, and they didn't have time to fix it, so I had to give him my helmet. But then when I went back and watched it, we had different face masks, so it might have been the Miami game where I actually had to give him my helmet. And But either way, Kareen wore my helmet in some critical moments because <laughs> he broke a snap on his helmet, and I had to give it to him. I what about the mouthpiece? No, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know. Got him. Don't no, this was. Him. I think it. I think it, I actually went back and looked, Joey. I think it was because I know I said it was this game. I think it was the Miami game. 
But this was one of the like, but this game, like I because I looked at the face mask, and I don't know if you know this, but in that video at 431, you can see Michael Felder mean mug to the camera coming out of the tunnel. And I have a different face mask than the one that Kareen has. So I think it's the Miami game, not this game. But he did wear my helmet in some a couple critical moments in a game. McClendon, the tailback. Davis will line up under center. State with no timeouts. 30 to 24, Carolina. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. All right. Well, so let's hit uh, two more segments <laughs> that I want to toss to you guys uh, before we put a bow on this thing. I always try to like to call the segment this guy, right? Like yep. Mick, you know, uh, John Gruden's analysis always includes, well, here's a guy who did blah, 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 blah. And this guy does blah, blah, blah. Mick, who was your this guy for the game against NC State in 04? I guess it'd probably be, be Darian Durant. Is that – I mean, hopefully that – you don't think I'm cheaping out, but just the – we talked earlier about how State dominated time of possession. So for North Carolina to put up 30, I remember that North Carolina's offense was pretty efficient in maximizing the chances that – that they did get to put 30 points up. And uh, Durant, I think there were, at that time, still some questions about could he function at that level? What, just exactly what did UNC have in this trigger man? And I, I just remember thinking that a lot of the, the way he, he just seemed like his pulse rate was about 55 during the game and, and he executed with a cool-like efficiency and um, answered some questions if there were any lingering outside the building. I know in the building, the belief in, belief in Darian Durant was absolute, but among Tar Heel fans, kids showed he was, he was um, you know, he could, he, he would, he's not going to disappear in big games. To that end, Mick, Darian Durant, 15 of 23 for a cool 65% completion, 192 total yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. QB rating was 178.4 on the day. And, and to, that, to that point, he was very, very timely. Didn't make any mistakes. But when Carolina needed a big play, Double D was, was, was spot on. So I, I'm not going to fault that pick at all. I think that's a great call. Third down and seven. The Tar Heels on the night, five of ten. As a matter of fact, both teams are five of ten in third down conversions. This is big right here. Carolina breaks the huddle as Mitchell and Pollock go to the left side. Mason and Holly come to the right. Durant in the shotgun. Here comes a blitz. The throw caught by Mason. First down, Carolina at the state 46. Felder, who was your this guy? Man, I looking at this, and I wrote so many guys down. Um, goodness gracious. Obviously, Darian Durant, D-block, is amazing. Um, I wrote Larry Edwards. Uh, he had the interception that essentially got us in position to seal the game or at least have an opportunity to seal the game. Sometimes when you change centers, maybe not in the shotgun, but you have some exchange problems. Second down and eight, 41. Davis back to throw. Ball deflected, intercepted, Carolina. Down the far sideline go the Tar Heels. 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, four-yard line. 
sophomore from Tampa, Florida, making his first start tonight for Carolina, gives the Tar Heels first and goal at the State Four. State trying a little flare pass to T.A. McClendon. Lee Pace, our Beefmaster sideline reporter. What happened next? Malik Brown was coming in from the left side, Mick. He extended his paw, open the hand, knocked it up out of the air. And that's where Larry, Rich, Larry Edwards picked it up and ran down inside the, tar, the uh, Wolfpack five-yard line. And the reason I wrote him down is because Larry always wanted to be a running back. Even if you look at his linebacker stance, he lined up like he was a running back. So I put him down. I put, um, I put someone who probably doesn't get a lot of credit, but Jay Brown, Jason Brown, the center, who just found a way to, to make plays and is just was had a really good NFL career as well. But Jay Brown and then obviously Madison Hedgecock. And for me, I will say this. A lot of people like out in the world know him as Mr. Fourth and Long. I know him as Jesse Holly. And I'm going with Jesse. I, I think if I had to pick one person, I'm going to go with Jesse. Uh, two reasons. One, the fumble recovery that he had uh, after Adarius Bowman fumbles the football. Jesse is always on that hustle making a play. And he scooped that thing up and was able to give us a first down instead of giving the ball back to NC State, which I think is humongous. And then the other one is – the touchdown that he scores where he sits the ball down on the ground and then flexes to the crowd. That's a play called sucker. And Mick talking about Trank reminded me of that week of practice where they kept running that play and we kept stopping that play. And Trank had one of those fits where he threw his hat down because he goes, do what they're going to do in the game. <laughs> and because we had seen the play so many times, we knew it's a fake screen over the top to Jesse, but he's like, NC State doesn't know it's a fake screen. They're going to be looking for the screen. Play the screen and then try to get to the thing and give us a good look. And he's yelling at all of us. And lo and behold, this guy's a genius. The play worked perfectly. Jesse's wide open in the end zone. And for me, I mean, it was it was just, oh, man. And the play worked so perfectly. And it was beautiful. And he drew it up perfect. And it worked perfect. And Darian Durant executed it perfect. Jesse faked it perfect. So I'm going to go with Jesse. And then a, a shout-out to a game. I'm sure you're going to do this game at some point later, the 4 Miami game. But Jesse running down the interception yep. when he was not as fast as that guy, but he just wanted it a little bit more. Jesse, for me, he's a guy that works really hard. And for me, I think he belongs in that list for, for guys that are – this is the guy for this game. And the ball is back at the 23-yard line for Carolina. That is the second penalty of the night for 20 yards. The Tar Heels average only a few number of penalties a game. Just five for 38 yards, best in the league. Here's Durant, faking, play-action fake. Lays it up, open receiver. Holly, touchdown, left corner of the end zone. set the play up. He had Darrell Mitchell take out the middle of the state defense. And everybody seemed to go with Mitchell, and it left Holly running wide open in the left corner. State will play a lot of man coverage inside their own 35-yard line. The Tar Heels took advantage of it. Good job looking coverage off as well by Darian Durant for the touchdown. Our, our counterpart here on the panel tonight, Mr. Mixon actually dubbed him after that fumble recovery, Jesse on the spot. Uh, yes. So 
we got to got to make sure we give some points for wit uh, in the time there. Durant will fake the ball now. Rolls out to his right. Wants to throw open receiver Bowman. Bowman midfield fumbles a football. Scooped up by Jesse Holly. Wow. Jesse Holly was Johnny on the spot. Um, my guy was Madison Hedgecock. I already mentioned it. You sure. Know, they kept, let the cat out the bag earlier, but. You know, the guy just showed up when the bright lights were on and against NC State's NFL talent-laden defense actually, you know, absolutely had them caving at the point of attack in the fourth quarter when Carolina had to get some ground yards. Dude, All right. Mario Williams, Manny Lawson, McCargo, like that. Tank Tyler, uh, Steven Tullock. <laughs> I mean, they had, they had some dogs, man. They really did. Whew. All right. Last part before we go home. And, 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 Mick, I'll kick this one to you first. Now, we talked earlier about, you know, what was your indelible feeling, you know, before you thought about this game. Now that we've kind of conjured up some, some new stuff, you know, is there anything that, that kind of rose to the top that you hadn't thought about in a while? Or maybe this rewatch made you think about something that, that you hadn't really considered uh, in at least 16 years? Connor Barth hit a 50-yard field goal in that game. Points were quite naturally a key with the tight the tightness of the game in the fourth quarter. Yep. I don't think it was one of – I can't – I'll only speak for myself. I, I have – I cringe a little bit when this game is brought up because I don't think it was one of your humble correspondent's greatest uh, broadcasts because I remember – I think I kind of turned fan a little bit late, and I think <laughs> you would not view this as perceptive, insightful commentary, but I think what came out of my mouth prior to the fourth down play was – how are you going to stop T.A. McClendon from point-blank range? But the Tar Heels did it. That's uh, – you know what? I, when I was rewatching it, actually, it jumped out at me that, you know, you were kind <laughs> of almost being over-even keel and kind of pointing out to everybody that this guy is, is absolutely automatic. He was averaging over 100 yards per game on the ground. I, I think that works, especially with, you know, you mentioned Connor Barr's uh, 53-yarder that tied the game early. Uh, Felder? What, what did this rewatch make you feel, man? What was all right? What memory did this stir up for you? Get a, get in your feelings for us. I'm gonna go quick. Um, on the field, um, I think that John Hamlet's touchdown. That was a play that we put into our playbook because Syracuse did it to us the year before, and it's where he blocks and then then kind of leaks out, and yep. it was beautiful. Um, the diamond formation it didn't work out for us uh, because NC State had a blitz coming, but that diamond formation is something I remember vividly from practice as like a new thing that we were putting in four by one formation. Um, the um, Gerald Sensiball liked to slice everything. And when, when I say slice, I mean that he liked to exchange responsibilities with the corner when you had a cut split, when a wide receiver had a short split or it was a tight end on the end of the formation, he would slice it and the corner would take the deep half and he would come down and make tackles. And I just kept seeing it on film and being like, that's Gerald. He wants to be involved in the play. Nose and, in then, the and then here's the reality. Um, the biggest thing that I thought, I thought about, if you watch this play and you watch the TA stop, and everybody thinks about the Khalif Mitchell rate running one hand up, there's a guy number 84. He's a doctor now named Sam Heathcote. And he got his helmet stolen because he did. we used to put our helmets under the bench. And he ran out onto the field to celebrate without his helmet and a fan stole his helmet. <laughs> and it completely changed the way that we reacted in the Miami game. 
because none of us wanted to get in trouble for having our helmets stolen. We all put them on and just ran through people. And it's this NC State game is also where I got a cut from the middle of my forehead across my nose because a fan crashed into me and I'm just bleeding in the locker room. They're like, how are you bleeding? You didn't get in the game. And I'm like, I, I don't know how I'm bleeding either. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but those are all the kind of the things that kind of like came back to me. Um, Kendreas guy being just a worker too. Um, man. Yes, I know. That's why I had to shout him out. He is a, he was a worker. So yeah. And obviously it sucked not getting to play with Puff and Fred and, and AD again. But, man, we had a really th – this October – this was probably the best October that we that I had as a football player at UNC because we beat NC State. We went on to beat Miami. I mean, we beat Miami Halloween weekend in Chapel Hill, and you guys both know how insane that is, Halloween weekend by itself. You throw in beating the number four team in the country and things get a little weird. <laughs> Mick, uh, you don't have any UPIs, any unidentified post-game injuries from this game, do you? <laughs> yeah, Don Bunning chest bumped me, and uh, I still have uh, soreness throughout my uh, <laughs> sternum. Thoracic tenderness. He's doubtful to, to return. Guys. <laughs> exactly. I, I just want to say before we ring off, um, you know, listen to Michael talk, and you can tell it's so vivid for him and for people like me. I always knew I could do it. I could play football if my mother had not smoked and drank so much during my gestation. <laughs> but to hear, I just want you to know, Michael, for every one of you, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people like Joey and me who, who got to carry mics and tape recorders and notepads around, but, but we would give anything to have put on a uniform and run through the paper mache or run through that big thing with the cheerleaders and out onto the field just one time. So I'm proud of, of you and your many successes. And Joey, same goes with you, man. Thanks for reaching out to me tonight. No problem. Well, we're going to put a bow on this one. I want to give a special thanks to Mick Mixon, Carolina Panthers play-by-play -play guy. We're going to have NFL football again sometime. Mick's going to be your guy on the radio. I want to give a shout-out to my buddy Mike Felder at In the Bleachers. Also, check him out at watchstadium.com. He, he knows more about breaking down film than anybody I know. Special shout-out again to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring us. Again, go to Apple, uh, review us, Google Play, review us, rate us, whatever. If you don't like what we're doing, give us a heads up. Hit us on the message boards or shoot us an email or whatever take care of us but i'm so thankful for mick for felder this is a 30 to 24 carolina win over nc state i don't care what anybody says i'm going off of what the record books and the box score says now but please stick around after the break i'm going to have a one-on-one -on -one post game with brian shakos who was starting hey, daddy in this game shack's back and we're going to talk to him so stick around after the break we'll have shakos in for felder and for mick i want to say thank you very much and we'll catch you guys after the break if you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. 
What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bad. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four the podcast so you don't miss a thing. All right, everybody. I appreciate you being back with us. Thanks for sticking around after the break. Once again, I want to shout out to Mick Mixon and Michael Felder for being here for the first part of our discussion of 2004 UNC versus NC State game. And with us right now, this, this sexy human being, <laughs> number 65 in your programs, but number one in your hearts. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, the guy that you just saw in the 2004 NC State game, uh, absolutely just all over the screen, uh, finishing, uh, finishing blocks, getting some whistles after the play, uh, but just all about it. Brian Chacos. Brian, how the hell are you? Hey, buddy. I'm good, Joey. Good to see you. Good to hear your voice. Happy quarantine. Sure. Um, it's, uh, it's good to be on with you. And, uh, man, when you, when you hit me up and texted me to talk about this game, uh, it brought back such great memories. Um, such, such good feelings of hatred. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's going to be awesome to spend some time with you talking about it. Um, it's funny. I spent some time with my son, my three-year-old son, Jax, the other morning. Uh, we were watching this past year's uh, Carolina NC State game over at Carter Finley. Uh, that turned into an absolute beatdown. So, uh, even my three-year-old is now learning about the rivalry and the hatred. Uh, you shouldn't let and, your kids and, see violence like that on television. <laughs> that's exactly that. That's exactly right. Um, but it is it is good to start them even early at three uh, to know about the hatred at NC State. Well, you know what? You, it's obvious that you you know where I'm going to go first. Yeah. Uh, my first question was just let's let's go ahead and headlong into it. Tell me about your true feelings for North Carolina State University in Raleigh. Yeah, I mean it's 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 U it's UNC Raleigh, um, and it's 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 just the epitome of just uh, bush league people. Uh, the, uh, only just really just focusing on their football program. Uh, it really starts from the top down, um, and that's kind of the way um, I felt about their program for the longest time. Um, I've I've kind of been raised in that the way to feel like that. My dad obviously played at Carolina from '71 to '74 for Coach Dooley. Um, I've been coming to Carolina football weekends and Letterman weekends since the second grade. Uh, and I've just kind of been all about this rivalry and known about what it's like to play in that game. And then uh, having, you know, been in the program as long as I was in the program and I uh, had the opportunity to, to start and play in four different opportunities against NC State uh, and just feel what that game is like uh, to know and play for, uh, for Coach Bunning, who was a great Tar Heel, and, and kind of understand and really appreciate what older generations, how they respect the game and the rivalry, and then taking that on as kind of the next generation of guys. Uh, it's really special. But, again, man, the hatred runs really deep. It still does. Even as a, even as a 37, soon-to-be 38-year-old dad, <laughs> proud husband, uh, father of two, um, man, I hate, I hate the Wolfpack. Uh, hate them now to this day um, and love every opportunity to go against them in anything, uh, but especially in football, for sure. This is, uh, this is going to be great because when we put this out to the InsideCarolina.com universe, they're going to absolutely yeah. salivate over this, uh, over this tasty red meat we're throwing to you and to them. Um, absolutely, okay, man. So you mentioned the link to your dad. 
Yeah. But you coming from, you know, being the, the de facto mayor of Darien, Connecticut, at what point did it, <laughs> did it really hit you, you yeah. know, as you got to college? At what point did it really hit you like, oh, my God, I want to murder these guys? So, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So I medically redshirted, then I read, so I medically redshirted in 2001, I redshirted in 2002, and then my first opportunity to really play in the rivalry game uh, was in 2003 at Carter-Finley. You know, Philip Rivers had a great game in 2003 um, at Carter-Finley, and the first time where I was like, you know, I really hate these freaking people was when I was going out to warm-ups with the offensive linemen. And uh, our strength and conditioning coach told us, you know, you guys need to wear your helmets for warm-ups. Well, you know, you never wear your helmets for warm-ups. You know, we're going out stretching. You know, at that time we had our, you know, we didn't have AirPods in. You know, we had our, right. our wires, our cords, our big bulky ear. Cans. Yeah, yeah, we had, like, yeah, yeah, your cans on. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, we're looking at them like, why do we need that? And the reason why is because they were throwing rocks and batteries at us on the field while we were just stretching and warming up. And so that kind of just shows you the kind of low class people that they are, um, even stemming from their fan base and then to the stuff that was, goes down on the field. Now, again, to say that I was the cleanest or nicest player out in the field, that's, that, that wouldn't be correct. I mean, I like to hit after the whistle. You've admitted I like to, to do, being I like, of the pile guy. <laughs> I have – I am – and I like to pick people off the pile too. If you're standing around the pile, don't stand around the pile. <laughs> um, but it, but it, it even to the NC State level goes a little bit below them as well. So, uh, you know, you really that was Joey that in 2003. I mean, that's when you really knew that, that fan base and that that football program really kind of was going to be the game that, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going to go I'm going to sidetrack here for a little bit. You know, I've heard some analysts, I've heard some people on inside Carolina, some different blogs, some different sites where we get former players that'll come on and say yeah you know when we play NC State it's kind of just another game and you know we're always excited <laughs> to play when you put it that, that's that's total BS that is BS when you play in this game and this rivalry you know you crank it up to 110 I mean every yeah. time you put on the Carolina uniform you give it 100 percent but dude when you see that NC State red <laughs> there's there's just a different switch I mean it's just it's a different it's a different switch that I am so glad that our kids have found this past year in, in when we played in Carter Finley this past season. And I'll tell you, you know, damn what you want to say about coach Bunning. Yeah. But my man was four and two against NC state. He was five and one against Duke. And when it came down to the rivalry games, he knew how to take care of our rivals. And, you know, he, he made that something where his players understood that. So you're, you're literally plucking them right off my card here for me. I was going to ask the Sorry, next question man. was, no, it's, it's perfect. It's, it's what we yeah. like to call in the business a segue. Um, <laughs> I wanted you to talk a little bit about, you know, you always hear about how coaches have different ways of motivating their guys. Uh, yeah. And specifically Coach Bunning, he made his feelings known about, uh, uh, about NC State and also about their head man. What sure, do you remember sure. that? And, and talk to us a little bit about, about Coach yeah. Bunning and how he radiated it to you guys about the hatred, how he stoked it, and how he got you fired up for this game. Sure. I mean, there was definitely stuff that you would read about in the News and Observer leading up to the game. You would see it on, you know, WRAL and ABC 11 and Mark Armstrong and Jeff Gravely and all those guys leading up to the games, right? You know, but then you'd see it in pregame warm-ups. I mean, we, we weren't naive and, and um, you know, uh, oblivious to seeing – kind of the feelings you know now nowadays you see the coaches meet a half field and it's all yeah. chummy and it's like you know they everyone everyone's got their second houses in 
you know, Grandfather Mountain or Nantucket together. Dude, Coach Bunning and Chuck Amato, those, those two guys are polar opposite kind of guys. And so you could see how badly they wanted to beat each other and how much they wanted to take their programs to the next step. And especially JB being, you know, obviously a Carolina guy and him wanting so much success for our program. I think you really saw the hatred between those two guys really get amped up in 2005 when we played back at Carter Finley. You know, that NC State team was loaded on paper. They, they had one of the better defenses in the country in 05. Um, and that's when Chuck and, and JB had to be separated pregame at midfield. They were literally chest-to-chest, face-to-face. And uh, my money would have been on JB. I mean, JB is just a, a big bulldog. Um, and he had the size advantage on Chuck. So, you know, I, it's one of those things. You could feel the hatred with those two guys. It, it really started in 04. It kind of festered all offseason. The pigskin preview in July, they have it to carry embassy suites, you know, and some stuff that was said in the offseason um, about whether that TA touchdown went in and then obviously the fumble in 04. Um, and then it really came to a head in 05. Um, right. But you could tell, man. I mean, it, it really – and I can tell you some other things, Joey. I mean, in our team meetings before those games against NC State, I mean, there, there was no complicated team meeting. There was no X's and O's and scheming. It was just let's come out and pound, pound their ass. I mean, beat them down, run the football, play tough defense. Let's make some special teams plays, and let's just get after their ass. That was it. <laughs> well, you talk about beating them down, and certainly one of the highlights that uh, we talked about in the earlier part of the show was young man from Ledford named, uh, named Madison Hedgecock as an oh, offensive God. lineman. How much did you love in the third and fourth quarter as an offensive lineman seeing a guy like Madison Hedgecock just truck sticking, you know, what was essentially an NFL caliber defense in multiple positions? Yeah, let me tell you something about Madison Hedgecock, man. Madison Hedgecock is an offensive lineman's best friend. I mean, Madison Hedgecock was one of those guys that was, besides the quarterbacks, you know, Madison was one of those guys who could come hang out with the offensive lineman without any invitation. Um, he, he, he had like a free, a free pass. I mean, he, he, Madison was just a different kind of breed of dude. He, he was just a guy who played hard, worked out hard. I mean, he, he ate his cheeseburger at Sutton's hard. I mean, he just like, <laughs> he, he, he just was like, was rough, man. I mean, he just, he just was a tough dude, a tough, rural North Carolina kid yeah. who just was just – he was full tilt at everything he did. But when we got on the football field, man, he, he just – he wanted to just beat your ass. That's all – I mean, really, that's all he wanted to do is just beat your ass. And he kind of had the same amount of hatred for NC State that I do. And he still does. It was great to see him. I saw him about a year ago, and he's doing great. He's up near High Point, and he's just on his – he's on his tractor – um, up in high point with um, he's doing terrific but you know he and I just talked about um, how much he loved running the football that night um, how much he loved playing fullback and and what he loved to do was just run through the hole and just block linebackers I mean there aren't a lot of people <laughs> walking the face of the earth that say you know one of my favorite thing to do is run through the line of scrimmage and run full speed at another human being who weighs about 230 240 pounds yeah. But Matt, Madison Hedgecock does. So um, it's, it's special when you finally have one of those guys on your team. And, uh, and not to mention, he's just a great guy, too. 
That was uh, that's that's pretty juicy. We were talking in the earlier part of the show just about how in that fourth quarter, when, when you guys needed a score, they wanted no part of trying to tackle him straight up. None, zero. You could tell. No. And, this, and again, it was an NFL caliber defense in multiple positions. Um, no doubt about it. Speaking of that defense, what was your memory of of the you know different components of that defense? I mean, you're talking about a guy like Manny Lawson. Uh, yeah, Mario Williams. Mario Williams. I mean, you, yeah. you were going Steven Tuller. at least once of those, yeah. at least one of those guys on every <laughs> yeah. snap. Talk about him. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that comes to my mind was NFL caliber. Um, you know, it was NFL caliber. It was you know leading up to that week to the game. I was thinking to myself, um, you know, it's gonna be sixty minutes. It's gonna be sixty yeah. minutes of you know going full tilt in a rivalry game. Um, you know, this is this isn't like playing Duke. Um, you know. Duke is, you know, I'll, I'll kind of I'll probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it now. But you know, when I, when we were playing Duke back then, the early early uh, 2000s, that was a game where you're like, man, I hope I get like I grade out of like a 96, 97, because I'm going to beat the right. absolute hell out of whoever I have lining across from me against pancake Duke. breakfast. It's going to be yeah. I'm just going to I'm just going to crush whoever I have the people the the scrawny little defensive end from Duke for 60 <laughs> minutes. I'm just going to beat his ass. But when I when you see you know Mario Williams who ended up being the first overall draft pick yeah. in his draft, and then Manny Lawson who ended up being a first round draft pick that game, I mean that year as well, you know I just I thought to myself it's gonna be long it's gonna be a long night, and again again as I said earlier it's a robbery game and it's gonna be cranked up even more. So you know then you had Tank Tyler, you had Stephen Tulloch on the second level linebacker, you had AJ Davis. Uh, who was in the secondary, who was a Carolina commit, and then who ended up flipping to NC State on signing day, who that that blistered a lot of Carolina fans. Um, you know, and then they had a lot of other talented guys. Uh, Pat Thomas, who you mentioned um, earlier in the show. And, uh, you know, so we knew it was a big night. It was a big night. But the thing that I remember most um, was how electric Keenan Stadium was. Man, our fans showed up. Our donors showed up. Uh, it was a great environment. Um it was loud. It was, it was raucous. It was just an awesome crowd. It just shows what Keenan stadium can consistently be like. And even in 2020, even what we're going through now, and hopefully we get cleared through all the stuff they're going through now. Um, Keenan stadium is a pretty cool place to take in a football game. Yeah. Beautiful setting, loud acoustics when you get the fans going. And it's also an awesome place uh, to see some football. That's, you know, when we rewatched this game, I remember they had a, uh, had a, a three bird flyover with some Ed, uh, for some F 15s. Yeah. Yeah. So I need you to talk to some people and get the flyovers back. Can you make that happen? <laughs> That's Mike. That would be Michael Beal at <laughs> UNCAA, head of, head of marketing. <laughs> oh, man. That was one of the things that we were watching this back. You know, this, this broadcast was unique in that it was only broadcast locally. So you had yep. the WTBD uh, video and then you had Mick yep. and Woody on the call. And just right. going back and being able to see that entrance, seeing you guys come out of the tunnel. Felder was talking about how he got a chance to mean mug for the camera when he was coming out. And he got to, <laughs> he got to show that to his wife when they rewatched it, which is the most Felder thing ever. Yeah. Um, so I one of the it. things that one of the things that Mike shared with us uh, earlier was a couple of kind of inside the inside the huddle moments during that game, um, you know, of just the the things that were being said between you guys as as combatants and also the things that were, were kind of being relayed from the coaches and players to players. Do you remember any inside the huddle moments or maybe any post-game locker room stuff that, that still is etched in your memory from, from a game that had that kind of magnitude to it? Yeah. I mean, I can't say it on your show. 
um, <laughs> because of the because of the language and and Fair my enough. wife my my wife and my mom might watch this and I don't want to I don't want to disappoint them but Fair enough. Um, you know it, it's it's one of those things I mean it's the typical things that you would hear in the on the playground or um, <laughs> you know in the locker room or uh, in the hallways at high school or something like that. And it just was really, I mean, we were real. it just, I can't explain it enough. I hate those dudes. I still don't, I still don't like those guys. I have a coworker. I have a coworker that I work with right now who she, unfortunately she went to NC state, but she's a Carolina girl through and through. And she happens to have gone to school with tank Tyler at NC state. Mm. And um, they, they're mutual friends. They were in class together, blah, blah, blah. And um, she told me that the other day. And I literally told her, I said, good, tell her that you and I work together and tell them to go to hell. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that was just, that's kind of my feelings because I remember some of the things that he said to me out on the field. And I remember some things I said back to him. And so, you know, I suppose he's in the triangle. So um, I'm just glad he knows, that he knows where to true. find me. I'm glad that you've matured to the level that you are still speaking to this coworker as opposed to just cutting her out of your work life altogether. Well, she's right. great. She's a Carolina girl too. So. All right. Last thing I'll, I'll lob to you and I'll let you get back to the dad life, especially in the time you, of quarantine. That's right. What was your reaction when Khalif Mitchell made the strip? You know, we just had the big controversy of, you know, some guy thinking TA was in and everybody else seemed yeah. to be clearly wasn't. What was your reaction in Brian Shakos's mind uh, when Khalif Mitchell stripped that ball and Green Taylor came up with it? You know, I'll tell you what. I mean, I, we, I, I've had a block and, and do one-on-ones against Khalif Mitchell, all training camp, uh, one-on-one pass pro, one-on-one uh, run blocking. So I know what kind of, of the beast that guy is <laughs> to block against. And when he gets down his goal line stance, I mean, he's damn near impossible to root out. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I know they're basically on the half yard line and odds are pretty much they're going to get in. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible not to get in unless someone misses a blocking assignment yeah. or a guy just falls to the ground or knee buckles or something. And that's exactly what happened, right? Guy comes off, hits Khalif, hitting Khalif is like hitting a damn brick wall, <laughs> hits him, guy gets his knee buckled, slides off him. Khalif just comes out of nowhere. TA is obviously not ready to get hit by – a 305-pound, you know, defensive right. tackle, ball pops up, game's over. We get it. So um, the funniest thing is, is, is from an alignment standpoint, it came out later in the week that Khalif was lined up in the wrong gap. And if Khalif was lined up correctly, they would have walked right in the end zone. But Khalif was lined up in the wrong gap, which Khalif tended to sometimes do. Uh, I'm glad he ended up lining in the wrong gap for that game. But um, they would have walked right in. The, they would have walked right in the end zone. We didn't have the proper alignment. But thankfully, Khalif lined up incorrectly and uh, secured the fumble for us and woulda, popped the ball up. Shoulda, man. That's uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda. That's life, man. Fate has a beautiful way of working out, and and <laughs> I appreciate you working it out on your schedule to join us here on the yeah, Throwback buddy. Episode yeah, Seven. Buddy. Um, folks, that's going to do it. You've heard it from Chaco's. You heard him give you some some dirt. You've heard his real feelings about uh, the Wolfpack, and he uh, does not care for their kind or their ilk. No, um, <laughs> not, um, not at all. Not even in the slightest. That's gorgeous. A little not family history on the wall there. Little father son action, Joey. That's how that's, it runs deep, buddy. That's legacy, but, man. Well, I want to. Yeah, I want to say thanks to Brian Chaco's special shout out to our sponsors, Johnny T-Shirt. Be sure to look them up at johnnytshirt.com. 
If you like this show today, be sure to go to either Apple, uh, either iTunes or Google Play or wherever you're getting this broadcast and rate us. Give us a good review. If you don't like it, let me know. Uh, let Buck know. Let Tommy Ashley know. Just give us a heads up because we want to make sure we're putting out good content for you guys. But for Mick Mixon, for Michael Felder, and for Chack Daddy Brian Chacos, I'm Joey Powell. Appreciate you guys listening to this episode of the, this episode of the Throwback. See, I'm so tongue-tied now. This episode of the Throwback. Got up. We'll be back with you sometime in the very near future here on Inside Carolina and InsideCarolina.com. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho College murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where is a roommate? It is a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag cyber sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.